Uh, Our scripture reading this morning is the same one that we listened to, read from last week. It is from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 once again, just as we did last week. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. So we're back in this text again this week. And last week when we looked at at this text, uh, I I introduced the message by saying, um, the coming of Jesus Christ demands a response from all people because Jesus comes claiming to be Emmanuel, claiming to be God with us, claiming to be God in human form, in the flesh. And therefore, we are required to respond to that. You can't sit on the fence about Jesus. It's it's either one thing or the other. You either reject him and his claims or... You receive him and you admit his claims. Some of you may have heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis who came up with something called the trilemma. And what he said was, when it comes to Jesus Christ, there's really only three options that you can uh, go with. Either he is Lord, because it's true that he is the Son of God who lived for us and died for us and rose for us, or he's a lunatic and he's crazy, Or he is a liar and a charlatan, a con man, a con artist who you ought not trust one bit. You see, oftentimes people will say this about Jesus. They'll say he was a great historical figure. He taught us a tremendous amount about how to live. He was obviously very wise. He was like a guru, etc. But all this stuff about Jesus uh, being the son of God, etc., that's a myth clearly because we know that that's not possible. Some of us would say there isn't even a God to be incarnated in human form. Others of us would say if God exists, he's not the kind of God who's going to bother revealing himself as a human being on the earth, that kind of stuff. 
But Jesus was, like I said, a wise man, a moral man, a great man. And so we can learn a tremendous, de- a, a, a tremendous amount from this Jesus, just like we can from other great men of history. People like, I don't know, Gandhi, Buddha, Newton, etc. But like I said, Jesus declared he's the son of God. And therefore, Lewis says, you cannot say that Jesus is a good man if he's not actually Emmanuel. Because if he's a lunatic, that means all the things that he said and taught are suspect because he's not in his right mind. We are modern people. We are post-industrial revolution, post-scientific revolution people. We know that we must reason and use our minds in order to discover truth. And how can you trust The truth being espoused by someone who's crazy. Or he's not good and can't be trusted because he's a liar. If he knows that he's not divine, and yet he tries to trick everybody into thinking he's divine, well, then you can't trust what he says because he could be lying about all these other things he he taught as well. Listen to how Lewis puts it. He says, People often say about him, speaking about Jesus, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing you must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would, be, would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. <laughs> chuckle, chuckle. That's where you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> Someone who thinks he's a poached egg. Or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now last week we explored what it looks like to reject Jesus and his claims to be God in the flesh. We saw that that you can reject him in all kinds of different ways. Herod rejected him violently. (laughs) We saw that the the people rejected him out of fear because they were afraid of of Herod. And we, we saw that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they seemed to reject him out of indifference, which might be the worst uh, of all three ways of rejecting him. Well, today, We're going to look at what it looks like, what it means to receive Jesus. And it means basically two things. One, it means to seek him. And secondly, it means to be changed by him. And we're going to see that in the life of these magi. First of all, it means to seek him. Or actually, better yet, it means to respond to him seeking you. A little bit about these magi people. Who are these guys? First of all, they're not kings. Okay, I know we just sung We Three Kings, but uh, they're not actually kings. So go ahead and keep singing the song We Three Kings. But while you're singing it in your head, say We Three Not Actually Kings. Okay, you don't want to have your history wrong on this. Okay, these guys were uh, probably more like astrologers. Uh, they read the stars, trying to interpret the stars, a little bit like fortune tellers today, or you know those hor- people who write horoscopes in, in the newspaper. These guys were were learned, no doubt, but they were steeped in some pretty weird kind of 
astrological sort of interpretation. Uh, Tradition says that there were three of them. Maybe there were three. We don't actually know. Of course, there's three gifts. That's probably why tradition started saying that there were three of them. There could have been two of them. There could have been 12 of them. We don't know. But what we do know is that they came from a very, very long distance away, very far away, over some very difficult terrain. Look at verse 2. It says, We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Because of a star that was unique, was different from any of the stars that they had seen up until this point, they traveled probably over a thousand kilometers to find this person that this star was supposed to speak about. What's very interesting is is that they probably knew very, very little about the Old Testament. They had some bits and pieces of of certain prophecies, etc. But when they come to Herod's court... They say that they have learned that the king of the Jews has been born by reading the stars. Now, they should have, been, have expected to be laughed out of Herod's court for this. Because even though astrology was kind of considered a legit vocation, or I shouldn't call it a vocation, but a legit means of interpreting the world and, and, and understanding the future in much of the world, it was kind of, well, first of all, it was forbidden by the Jews or in the Jewish tradition, and it, they were kind of laughed at by the Jews. Astrologers were kind of laughing stocks among Jewish people. So, for example, in Isaiah 47, verses 13 and 14, Isaiah says this, he says, All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The the fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. These are not coals for warmth. This is not a fire to sit by. That is all they are to you. These you have dealt with and labored with since childhood. So, so the Magi, they're accepted by all kinds of people around the world, except basically the Jews. And yet, here's the thing, through their weird, quasi-religious, intellectual investigations of the stars, God actually reveals himself to them. What's the point? The point is, is that anyone who comes to know Jesus as the Son of God, as their Savior, anyone who does, comes to know him because God sought them first. These are, let's say there's three, why not? These are three astrologers just living in Persia somewhere, doing stargazing the way they always do, and you know, mapping things and then writing down prophecies to give to their pagan king and all of a sudden they see this one star that doesn't make sense to them and they go to find the ancient documents that have foretold that something's supposed to happen. Kind of like, no, I won't get into the Lord of the Rings. Sorry. It's irrelevant. But Gandalf does the same thing. Anyway. And they find this weird little prophecy perhaps or this thing or this, maybe it's not understandable at all and they actually get on their horses or on their donkeys or whatever, camels and off they come to, to Judea to this little podunk little village on the outskirts of this empire and they 
think that they have found this great king of the Jews. The only way that that is even remotely possible is if God was seeking them first. And that's the case for anybody who comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. God seeks us first and he seeks us regardless of our race, regardless of our class, regardless of our culture. You know, oftentimes people will say Christianity is really, it's one of these religions that is, that is, is for people who are good. It's for good people. Well, what do we mean by that? Usually what they mean is people who like to know what the rules are. You know, they want to know what's the definition of a good person? Ah, it's follow these rules in the Bible. Ah, that's the definition of a good person? Okay, I will live that way. And it appeals to rules, people like that. People who need to have structure in their lives in order to, to know how to live. They don't really, they're not really good at thinking for themselves and working things out for themselves. That's what religion is good for. That's what Christianity is good for. People like that. Or Christianity is, is for people who are weak and needy. People who need some kind of explanation for their messed up lives. You know, suffering is hard. A lot of things that happen in life suck. Very, very difficult, very, very painful. And there are people who, who need crutches to get through those difficult, painful things. And that's what Christianity offers. It's good for people like that. Or maybe it's, it's really good for naive people. You know, people who are sort of prone to believing sort of outrageous things. Like, like flat earthers. You know, you wonder, mixed company, are you offending someone? But there are people who certainly still believe that the earth is flat. In fact, there's apparently a rise in uh, people believing that the earth is flat. And Christianity is for people like that. People who are kind of easily taken in by crazy ideas. Maybe because they like being different than other people. You know, it's kind of cool in a way. If you really want to, you young people, if you're trying to be hip, countercultural, different, from, from the crowd, you want to stand out from the rest of culture and, and be different, show your unique, authentic identity, become a Christian. Because right now, right now, that's seen as kind of a crazy idea, you know, to embrace Christianity and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Those are, those are people on the fringe. That's what people often think. But this shows us that God seeks us first and he doesn't seek People based upon their personality, based upon their intellectual ability, based upon their race, based upon their gender. You know why he seeks people? He seeks people because we're sinners. That's the one qualification anybody needs to be a Christian, is to be a person who has committed sin, who has broken God's law, who has rebelled against his will. And lo and behold, that's everyone. God is an equal opportunity seeker. Look, a lot of guests in the building this morning. Very exciting. I love seeing new faces here. But it means I don't know where you're at with your faith, with your spiritual journey, etc. But I can tell you this right now. You're here. You're listening to me. You are hearing the words coming out of my mouth. That is no accident. That is no accident. 
You think maybe you're here because, I don't know, you're hanging out with family and your family's religious, you're not so religious, and there they are, so they brought you along and you thought, well, I got nothing better to do, we're all going to go out for crepes afterwards anyway, so I might as well hang out and go to this service with them first. You think that it's just a coincidence, let me tell you, uh-uh. God is seeking you right now. And if you're wigged out by that, I hope so. I hope you are wigged out by that. I'm trying to make you wigged out by that. The truth is, is that God came into this world showing us that there, there was perhaps a concrete wall between the physical world and the spiritual world. But that concrete wall has been forever shattered by the incarnation of the Son of God. And that means that God is active in this universe right here, right now. And in this moment, if you have even the least bit of curiosity about what any of that means, it means that God is hunting you as we speak. Because the Bible says nobody would have any interest in coming to Jesus Christ unless Jesus Christ was hunting them first. Look, you don't know much about Christianity. That's fine. The Magi didn't know much either. They had a star. And they had a star that told them that a special king was going to be born. You ever notice that, like, why would... Well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... Why would they bother to worship the king of the Jews? They're not Jews. If this is just a local king for a small ethnic group of people, they can identify him and say, Oh, there he is, the king of the Jews. Just so you know, there's a new one here. But they worship him. They know that there's something different about him. If in any way you think... There's something different about him. You have enough to respond. You have enough to respond. Maybe you're saying, look, I'm afraid to respond. Because, you see, I was raised to be a scientific, rational person. And now you're telling me that this guy who lived 2,000 years ago was not just a man, but he was God in the flesh. I got to tell you. That's a little tough to swallow, but I'm strangely intrigued and curious. God's seeking you right now. Don't ignore him. Respond to him. Well, how do I respond to him, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at verse 11 through 12, or 9 through 11. Respond like these magi did. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The magi, they kept looking. They went to the palace first because, you know, New king's born. Where do you expect to find him? At the palace. Okay. Herod says he's not here. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they say, nah, he's probably at Bethlehem. So they go, oh, okay. So out the door they go and they look for that star because that's been their guiding light the whole time. And they see it. They go, oh, look at it. It's going over there. All right, let's go. And it, and it rests over Bethlehem. And they search this little town. And somehow they come across this dumpy little stable and they see this baby lying in the arms of his teenaged mother, not looking very impressive at all. And they could have certainly have said, well, that can't be right. Oh, man, that's a long trip. We just went on to be wrong. But they didn't. They didn't say, oh, 
This must be wrong because it doesn't look right. It doesn't fit right. No, they trusted the star and they bowed down and they worshiped this Jesus. Now, did they know that he was the Messiah, that he was God? Probably not. They probably actually knew very little about him, but they knew that he was unique, especially different. In fact, they knew that in some way he was superior to them. That's why they, they bound down and worshipped him. He was some sort of king. That's why they gave these expensive gifts to him. They knew at least enough to pay homage to him, symbolizing two things, this gold, incense, and myrrh. Scholars have all kinds of theories about why these gifts were given, but the, the most common answer to the question is why they why these gifts are given is because jesus somehow they understood he was worth it and they were willing to give these most precious treasures because there was no doubt that these were very expensive very precious treasures he was so worth it that they were willing to give it up for him now here's the thing that is the only response that makes sense if Jesus was who he said he was. They had very, very little knowledge, but they did understand this, that, that the claim was, was that somehow Jesus was this, diff, was this special, superior being that they, they didn't quite understand, but they knew enough to say that he deserved their veneration. And how about you? Is that all you know? You, you could know, you should know, uh, heck of a lot more because the rest of the story tells us what this Jesus was like that the power of his teaching the the attractiveness of his personality the 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 power of his acts his his miracles that that demonstrated that he was not just a man but he was someone special who is he that controls the wind and the waves his own disciples were baffled by him his own disciples who knew him best, who had walked with him for three years, who had seen him after a lousy night sleeping out on the ground under the stars and waking up with a sore back, and yet the way he handled himself in those difficult times, they had seen him dealing with the, the Pharisees and the priests and the teachers of the law who were constantly chasing him, trying to trip him up, trying to turn the people against him, and, and he never ever had a single misstep. He never got up once and, and, and swore a blue streak at these guys guys who are constantly after him he he maintained a perfect life and then for no good reason he went to that cross where where Matthew records Pilate put the sign up they put the sign up above his head they placed the written charge against him this is Jesus the king of the Jews Jesus came to die for us, to be a crucified, a disgraced king. He gave us more than we could ever give to him. He was the king before all time, and he came into this world stripped of his glory, stripped of his majesty, and on the cross, as he hung there naked, the people whom he died for were laughing and mocking and spitting upon him. And his best friends, 
who had seen the strength of character, who had seen the nobility in the midst of suffering, who had seen the resolve in the midst of opposition, who had seen it, and who had been told, this is what's going to happen exactly. I am going to be handed over. I'm going to die. But don't worry. I will rise again. What did they do at the first sign of, of, of opposition? They scattered. Now, when this sinks into you, when this sinks into you, it begins to change you. And that's how you know that you have received him. Imagine, I heard, I heard this from Tim Keller once, and I, 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 I'm changing it a bit, but he says, you know, imagine you have a friend who you take to a doctor's appointment, doctor does a bunch of tests on them, comes back to them and says, look, I've discovered you have a terminal disease, and you are probably going to die in a week. But here, I have this medication. If you take this medication... You will live, but there's a catch. You're going to have to give up chocolate for the rest of your life. And you say to your friend, that's great. You have this, you have this, this remedy. You have this cure. You can live. And your friend goes, hmm, no chocolate, eh? Hmm, I'll pass. You would say, you're a fool. What are you doing? What are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus comes to us this morning and he says, look, I have come to give my life in order to save yours. To know me, to serve me is perfect freedom. This is what you were created for. Loving me is your highest purpose. You're wondering what you're on this earth for. I'm telling you, I know because I made you and I'm telling you it's to know me and to love me. I am the source of all beauty. I am source of all truth. To know me means to, to have my glory, to have my power, to have my, my majesty just pass into you. So that you would know joy unspeakable beyond the walls of this world. That is who I am. That is what I'm calling to you. And you say to him, hmm. But you tell me, no sex before marriage, huh? Hmm. I shouldn't date a non-Christian, huh? Hmm. I'm supposed to stay married when things get difficult rather than bail, huh? Hmm, I got to give up this addiction or this sinful pleasure that I enjoy. Hmm, I have to forgive that person who hurt me so deeply. What, I, I got to give away my hard-earned money? Hmm, I'll pass. It's madness, friends. It's madness. If he is who he says he is, there is nothing you have, nothing that you could ever have that comes even close to being worth giving him up. This is why the the missionaries of the past were willing to go into the most darkest, deepest, dangerous, deadly domains 
and put their lives entirely on the line. This is why people say no to cottages and massive houses and huge retirement funds, and they go across the world into some of the most desolate places to seek people who have never heard of Jesus. And you say to them, how do they do that? Man, they must have such big faith. They just must be such good people. No, you know what it is? They've encountered this priceless treasure who at any given moment says, if he says, give it up, they say, gone. Because he is Emmanuel. God, think about this, friends. God, God subjected himself not to just disgrace, not to just suffering, but to the punishments of hell itself to rescue you. How do you receive him? Like the Magi, bow down and worship. Any other, any other response is foolish and madness. Let's pray. Father, some of us do believe in Jesus, but admittedly, the thought of giving and certain things up for him terrifies us, and we we still struggle to let go of them, and we clutch them to ourselves. Father, use Christmas to loosen our grip on those things, to take a step in faith and believe that Jesus, who promises us life abundantly, is telling the truth, and that there is no thing in this world that is worth holding on to if it means losing him. And some of us here are not believers yet because we simply cannot get over that hump to believe that God would come in this person uniquely at a specific time in history to live the life described in the Gospels to die and rise again. This is hard for us to accept. But Father, for any of us who this morning can't yet accept it, but are intrigued, are curious, are moved by the story, may they know that you are already seeking them and that if they turn and seek you, they will find you. That is your promise. Thank you for Christmas, O oh God. In Jesus we pray, amen.